as you heard in the video announcement, in three weeks, that's the 22nd, uh, we are going to uh, have that special service called The Greatest Gift. And we really uh, want to use this service for evangelism. We want you to invite your family and friends. It's a great time. It's getting very close to Christmas, only three days away. People, our hearts are more warmed towards the thought of going to church and all that. So uh, let's use this to see God do something great in people's lives. Amen? And to help us kind of stay uh, focused for our mission, uh, which is bringing someone on, on that day, um, as we mentioned again we're going to use the next three weeks to speak about gifts specifically the gifts that were given to Jesus by the wise men so if you have your bible let's look at the gospel of Matthew uh, beginning in uh, chapter 2 starting in verse 1 Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod, about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star uh, as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And it was, when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. Okay, just recapping what we have just read. So we're told that these wise men, or some translations have magi, uh, came from eastern lands, and they came to worship the newborn king of the Jews. Now, it's interesting because they came from a land uh, that was far to the east, and they were Gentiles, meaning they were not Hebrews. And so here, they, they, why these Gentiles would care about a king 
being born that was Hebrew in, in culture and, and nationality, we're not told that why they did that. Uh, but we are told and, and, that, and we see from the scriptures that it was traditional for uh, visitors pay, uh, paying homage to a king to bring gifts. And so they came bearing gifts to give to the king of the Jews. But it's interesting also that at this moment in time, Herod was the king of the Jews, and there's no mention that they brought him any gifts. And so now, Herod is upset because, again, he's the king, uh, and these guys are coming in here saying there's a new king that's been born who's the king of the Jews and uh, we want to see him. We brought gifts for him. So Herod gathers together uh, all of the religious leaders to find out where the Messiah was to be born. I find that also interesting that here the king of the Jews, uh, Herod who was the king over the Hebrews and Hebrew himself did not know himself where the Messiah was to be born. Anyway, the religious leaders tell him that it's Bethlehem. All of the scriptures uh, from the Old Testament uh, prophesied that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So they, they tell that uh, to the wise men, and off they go. They're sent to the wise men. As they're journeying, all of a sudden, the star that they saw that guided them reappears and guides them to the very house where Jesus is. And they entered that house, they bowed down and worshiped him, and then the Bible says that they opened their treasure chests and they gave Jesus three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And once they did that, the Bible says afterward they returned to their own country. Now, Let's make that connection because as Jesus received these three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, we are going to be talking about each week one of these gifts. And uh, since, as you can tell, we have the, uh, the Lord's table all prepared and set to go, uh, I feel that it, it's the right leading of the Lord to really talk today about the last gift that was mentioned, and that's the word myrrh. Everybody say myrrh with me. Myrrh. Now, myrrh, you see a little picture coming up on the screen. It was an aromatic ointment which was primarily used for burial. In fact, we, we know that because we can tell from the scriptures. Let's turn to Mark. Uh, I'm going to look at Mark chapter 14 really quickly here, beginning in verse 3. Listen, meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy while he was eating. A woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, which is also, uh, again, myrrh. She, opened, she broke open the jar and poured the perfume over her head. Some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want to, but you will not always have me. 
She has done what she could, listen, and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Now, in John chapter 19, we read this. If I, as soon as I can find it, I'll get you. Okay, John 19. Listen to verse 38. This is after Jesus has now died. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 70 pounds of perfumed ointment made from what? Myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. So, Myrrh was primarily used for burial, to, to anoint the body. Remember, the, the, the Hebrews did not believe in embalming. And so what they would simply do is they would wrap uh, the body in strips of linen that had been soaked in this ointment made with, primarily used with uh, myrrh, and they would uh, wrap the body with it to help preserve uh, the aroma of a dead body as long as they could, and, and then they would bury it. And so it's interesting now because the gift of myrrh represents the Lord's death. Now, again, remember I said that when you come to, into uh, the, the presence of a king, you come bearing gifts. So now the wise man, one of the gifts they gave was the gift of myrrh. I believe that it was prophetic in nature that the wise men were giving honor to Jesus' death. You know, the wise men were recognizing this is the king and we need to honor that the death that's going to take place in his life. Now, let's fast forward to the Lord as an adult. As he's drawing close to the time where he would be sacrificed on the cross of Calvary, Jesus said this in John chapter 12, verse 27 and 28. Now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? But this is the very reason I came. Father, bring glory to your name. So notice, I, I read this because I wanted you to see that as the time drew near where Jesus knew he would be arrested, he would be put on trial and falsely accused, and then he would be crucified. He knew that was coming. And so he's telling the disciples that his soul was troubled in that regard. I knew what was coming up. and knew the pain that he would have to suffer. And then he said, well, but, but should I have actually pray and ask God, the Father, to, to save me from this hour? He goes, no, this is the very reason I came. 
In other words, what Jesus was telling his disciples, that he was stating that this is my mission. This is why I was born. Jesus Christ was not born, listen, to open the eyes of the blind. Jesus was not born to heal the sick. He was not born to raise the dead. Although he did all of those things, that was not his mission. That was not the very reason why he was born. Jesus' mission, why he was born, was to sacrifice his life on the cross and Calvary for the sins of the world. That was his mission. And it's why when, while he hung on the cross with his last breath, John 19, 13 records that the last thing Jesus said before he died was, it is what? Finished. finished. What, was he, what, what was finished? Jesus was declaring, by my death, I have completed the mission that the Father has given me to do. I, I have finished the very reason why I was born. I have fulfilled that mission. And it was because of Jesus' death that the way to salvation was paved. Now, let me talk to you about what, I'm, what I mean when I, when I talk about salvation. I want to make sure that we are all on the same page this morning, that we all need to be saved from our sins. There's not one person here that was born uh, without sin. We were all born sinful. We are sinful to the core. Every single one of us, it is, we are wickedly bad. Come on, look at your neighbor, tell them that you are wickedly bad. And see, I just demonstrated how wicked we are because some of us enjoyed that too much. Okay, so now, so we are all in need of salvation. And the reason why, let me give you, I'm going to give you four things. Number one, listen, it's forgiveness of sin. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says this, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. In other words, people wonder, well, why did Jesus have to die on the cross for our sins to be forgiven? Well, because God had declared back in the Old Testament that the soul that sins, that soul shall die. There is no remediation for sin. The, 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 the penalty for sin was death. Now, God allowed in the Old Testament the Hebrew nation, his people, God allowed them to sacrifice an animal in their place. So, an animal had to die, and, and blood had to be spilled to demonstrate death. But that was never God's purpose. Uh, that was just all a shadow to, uh, until the, the time came when the Lord would come on the scene because it was God's purpose that he would send his only son to die for the sins of the world. And so Jesus had to die so that his blood would be spilled so that through his blood you and I can have our sins forgiven. It's important that we remember that this morning because our sins are not forgiven because we cry. Our sins are never forgiven because we promise God that we're never going to do that again. Our sins are not forgiven because we belong part of Belmont Assembly. God help you if you think that's the answer. 
Our sins are only forgiven through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary, you see. So when I talk about salvation, it means the forgiveness of sin. Number two, it means transformational life. Salvation means transformational life. I'll explain that what I mean, but let's look at the, the, the Bible. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. For by that one offering, he, meaning Jesus, forever made perfect those who are being made holy. In other words, the Bible says through his death, through his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary, Jesus made perfect forever. Now, let me pause there and explain the first part. Perfect forever means in God's sight, once you and I embrace Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are adopted through the blood of Jesus into the family of God, right? And because we are part of the family, like any good father, we are always perfect in his sight. You ever see that in family? Like everybody thinks that their children are angels. My mom still thinks that to this day. Bless her heart. <laughs> Little Carlos, he's perfect. Don't you agree? Why is that laughing? My wife was the one who's laughing the most. Well, she ought to. She lives with me. <laughs> she knows that little Carlos is far from perfect. None of us are. But see, and the enemy, the devil, the Bible says he is an adversary. He is an accuser. He is always looking to point our, our sins and our flaws. But we have a God that looks at the devil saying, I know that you think Pastor Joey is horrible, but he's perfect in my sight. Why? Because when God sees Pastor Joey, he sees Pastor Joey through his son, Jesus Christ. And therefore, he's perfect. But then the Bible says this. Okay, he's perfect, but see, I'm making him perfect. See, there's the declaration of God that we are holy, but we're also under the process of becoming holy. The Christian journey is a journey of transformation where God, through his spirit, working in us, getting out all of that gunk and all that garbage that's in our life that, that we know doesn't please God, it doesn't even please us. And God, uh, day by day, works in us so that he transforms the way that we talk. He transforms the way that we act. He transforms our character and molds us little by little more into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the good news of the gospel, that we're not forever in, uh, in a simple state in the sense that we're not hopeless. No, there is hope because God is always working in all of us. Now, number three, I want to talk about salvation is access to God. And when I talk about access to God, I'm talking about a relationship. Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 20. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. By his death. What does all that mean, Pastor? Well, leave, uh, leave that up for a moment. The most holy place, uh, let me explain what that is. The temple of God had three divisions. Three rooms, if you will. 
that was the most holy place. That was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was. That was the place where, where God dwelt by his presence. And then there was this great curtain that separated it, and now you had the most holy place. And there you had the table of showbread, and you had the lampstand and all of those things. And then, of course, then you had the outer court. Now, the most holy place where God was, no one was ever allowed to go in there. Only the high priest and only once a year. And the high priest had to go in sprinkling blood. Once a year, the Day of Atonement, you had to go in. Now, check this out. In the old days, they, the, the men wore, for lack of a better word, smocks, right? There they, they, they was no such thing as pants in those days. It was smocks. But now the high priest, his mock had bells on it. And so when he would go in once a year, they would tie a rope to his ankle. This is true. Now listen to me. He's going into the most holy place where God dwells. If he did anything wrong, he was immediately struck down by the holiness of God. Now the problem was if they stopped hearing the bells on the outside, yeah, he did. He gone. But the problem is, we can't get him out. We can't go in to get him, because then we'd be dead. So they would pull him out. That was the purpose of the rope. Now, then it'd be next. Who's next? <laughs> How'd you like to be next? <laughs> this is all true. It was all to symbolize that God lived in unapproachable holiness that only the high priest and once a year could go in and he had to sprinkle the blood of the lamb. Now the Bible says through his death and his blood, Jesus opened the way. The Bible tells us that when Jesus breathed his last on the cross, the veil, the curtain was torn from top to bottom. Listen, it's signified now that you and I could have access to God. That now we no longer have to be fearful and afraid about approaching God. That now, through this incredible sacrifice, not only are my sins forgiven, not only is God changing me into more of his image, but now, for the first time, man can have a relationship with this God. I can know this God who loved me and died for me. I can get to know him. I can actually talk to him and have him talk back to me. It's no longer this religion of God is up there and we're down here and, and where he's unapproachable and, and all of that, all the kind of stuff. No, no. Jesus died on the cross of Calvary so that you and I can gain access to God. Yes. Now, number four is this. We have eternal security. Eternal security. And that, the Bible says in Hebrews 9, 12, with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all and secured our redemption. Everybody say forever with me. Come on, forever. 
forever. What does that all mean, Pastor? It means that once you embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, now you are sealed. The Bible tells us in, in the Revelation uh, that when we take a glimpse into heaven that there is a book that's there. It's called the book of life. And when you embrace Christ as your Savior, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And that's the, the, when you stand before God one day, God is not going to look at, well, uh, did you give in the offering to Belma? Oh, well, did you help feed the homeless on Thanksgiving? None of that is going to matter before God. The books are going to be open, the Bible says, and now God's going to look and say, Carlos Paniago, let me see, let me see, see, see. And if your name is not in the book of life, the Bible says that you will be thrown in the lake of fire forever and ever. But if your name is in the book, then the Lord will say, come and enter for all eternity the joy of the Lord. And you'll be with the Lord forever and ever. Come on, look at your name and say, I hope your name is in the book. Do you see how the death of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, paved the way for you and I to experience such a great salvation, such a great salvation? But now I want to back up a bit. Because prior to his death, at the very last Passover, the last meal he would enjoy with his disciples before he would hang on the cross. Jesus said this. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this what? To remember me. Now, Years later, we have in 1 Corinthians, where it records us, uh, chapter 11. Let me get to that one quickly. In chapter 11, reviewing what we call communion or the Lord's table, in, in chapter 11, uh, beginning at verse 23, listen. For I passed on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to what? To remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an arrangement confirmed with my blood. Do this to what? Remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat and drink this cup, you are announcing or proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. So Jesus is gathered with his disciples. He knows in a few hours I'm going to be arrested. And so he's gathered around uh, the, the last meal, and, he, and he, this is where we get this sacrament that we call communion or the Lord's table, and, and he gives them 
the bread, and he says, do this to remember me. And years later now, the apostle Paul is writing, and he said, I got this from God himself. Which means somewhere, somewhere, Jesus talked to Paul, because Paul was not there that night, and Jesus talked to Paul, and he gave them these sacraments again, and Paul repeated, he told me, do this to remember me. So the question comes, why would Jesus twice now, to his disciples initially, then to the apostle Paul, so that Paul could record that in, and make this letter, which we now call our Bible, so that we have it recorded for all time. Why would Jesus ask his people to remember him? I mean, is it like that you and I could forget? Is that possible? I would submit to you, that it's very possible for you and I, as God's people, to forget his death. You see, we forget his death when we are in the midst of trouble or hardship. We start accusing him of not caring, as if he didn't care enough already. When we start living a life that's rebellious to his will, and he's laid out a plan of what he has for our life, and we don't want that go that way. And every time we rebel, we forget his death because Jesus didn't die for rebellious children. He died so that he could have a children that live and honor God, the Father. What I'm getting at, brothers and sisters, is I've often wondered and, and, and to do this from a very religious uh, stance, judging the nation of Israel, I'm amazed at how many times the Bible records that in spite of how God blessed them, they continually forgot God. How could that be when God did some incredible things for them and blessed them in such incredible ways? And then God smacked me off my high horse he said, what? Do you think you're any different? How many times have you forgotten my death? How many times have you wondered whether I love you or not? How many times have you openly accused me of forgetting you, abandoning you? He said, when you do that, you don't remember my death. See, my death speaks about my love for you. For I have declared, maybe someone would die for a good man, but I have demonstrated my love in that while you were so sinful, I died for you. He died for all of us, you see. And that's what I love about remembering his death. That's why Jesus encourages us in the scripture, to do this often because it brings us back to that place of what Christianity was all about, its very foundations. There would be no Christianity without the death of Christ on the cross of Calvary. There would be no forgiveness of sin. There would be no transformation of our life 
There would be no access to God, no relationship with God. None of these things. There would be no eternal security. You'd always be wondering if you were good enough, if you were moral enough to get to heaven one day without the death of Christ. None of these would be available. And so when we think about it, on a positive note, it humbles us, doesn't it? And it helps us to get to that place where worship team of you would come, where we recognize the God who loved me so much and made a way for me to experience such a phenomenal salvation. How could I not love him more? How could I not serve him more? The wise men were truly wise. They knew this king's death would not be an ordinary death. It would provide something that nothing else would ever provide. No death of an animal that could be sacrificed. No blood could be offered other than this king's special blood. The death of Jesus, brothers and sisters, has made a way for you and I today. I'm going to ask those that are serving communion, they would come and help us out. Pastor Jason and the worship team, they're going to lead us in some choruses. Yeah. We're, going to, we're going to look to honor the Lord today. We're going to look to bless his name, remembering the price that was paid to bring us salvation. Thank you this morning for reminding us through your word, Father, of the incredible sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. We want to remember this morning his sacrifice on the cross. We want to remember how it opens the door for our sins to be forgiven, for our lives to be transformed, for us to be able to have access to you, Lord, and to have this relationship with you, and for our eternal security, and so much more. No wonder the wise men brought that myrrh, that symbol that represented the death of the king, the one who had sacrificed so much for so many. As we take this bread and this cup of grape juice that symbolizes that sacrifice, Lord, we do it with thanksgiving in our hearts, blessing your name for such an incredible sacrifice. Amen. Let's take the bread and the cup. The incredible gift that Jesus received. Is the another incredible gift that we can give to the Lord is to tell everyone we know about this great God who loves us and died for us. To start telling your friends and your family about the 22nd so that we can see God do some amazing things in their life. Reveal 
this great love that he has for them as well. God bless you. I dismiss you in the grace of the Lord.